1: Thinking how things used to be Dark night It's a dark night
0: My name is Seth Holbert, and this is the first ever Best Little Horror Podcast in Texas. We serve the best horror cook films from everywhere around the world, from the Grindhouse era. You guessed it. Well, today we're going to speak about one of my favorite horror movies of all time, and that right there is the Grindhouse special, Maniac. But before we go on that, I'd just like to give out a real shout out here to, um, we lost the legend today, uh, Tobe Hooper, who was a born Austin, Austin native here in Texas. Billy only is 75 years young. You might remember from such films like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Culture Geist, Life Force, um, Invaders to Mars, uh, which was a remake with Karen Black, and of course one of my favorite films, um, Salem's Lot. Well, anyway, let's get this started going, and hopefully we can get this all. This is my first time here, folks, uh, at um, uh, Totally Driven, so hopefully I will do a very good job, and (laughs) I won't get too much going on here. Here we go.
1: lock your doors, but you can't lock the madman out of your mind. life out of you.
0: Yes, let's follow Frank uh, Zetto, and he's played by Joe Spinell, one of the greatest and probably one of the best grindhouse um, actors of all time, as he travels through, let's say, New York back in the late 70s as he chops, hacks, and mutilates women throughout the night. Man, it must be hard to get a date there. Anyway, until he meets the right girl, who's played by the lovely uh Caroline Monroe, you might remember her from other Roger Corman films as well as Adam Ant videos, and he meets the right girl for the wrong reason. Now, let's just say when I first saw this movie, this was one of those ones that was like, oh my God, did I just see somebody die? I mean, the way the special effects were great on this, uh, Tom Savini, does um, the gore master himself, does the majority of these effects. And if you know his background, Tom Savini was also um, was in Vietnam. So he saw firsthand combat and what the effects of combat would do. He was a uh, photographer for Stars and Stripes. So on that little note there, you wonder why when you see certain movies from the 70s, I'm like, ooh, that was it. Yeah, that's the one. That looks too real. That, no, nope, that wasn't real. That was good job. Just a great job they did. But anyhow, it starts off with these um two people who are just right there on the beach, having a good time, um, snuggling up. Uh, near a fire and um well it gets kind of cold i guess the campfire's going out for a little bit and then she tells her husband out of wisdom you know you should go get some more wood and stuff so we can keep the fire going keep the fire going wink wink you know what i mean so he goes out there as always and she's there just relaxing and then we got this like pov you know shot view like you would from michael myers from halloween remember this was like i <laughs> think no yeah this is this is afterwards so they probably used that shot for it anyway when he goes there um you just see this this hand just starts rubbing her back and stuff like she's like liking it and stuff and all of a sudden just ranks her by the neck and just splits her throat and you're like wow i saw that when i was 10 years old and i was supposed to this was on like a usa up all night movie and i thought they had regulations of that but at that time it was gilbert godfrey so who knew right well, after that, um, the husband starts coming back and finds wood and saying stuff like, well, I can't believe she's got me doing this and stuff so, and whatever, blah, blah, blah. But well, one thing leads to another, and when he goes there, he sees are just laying down, just laying down. Nothing's going on. And he's like, hmm, must be tired, must be sleep. Goes and get a uh, closer view of her. And then all of a sudden, gr- grout wire, we're talking like, like, I don't know what Frank was back in the day or something, but he just shows with grout wire and just, just strangles the guy and lifts him up maybe two feet in the air. And it's like, dude, were you a nom or something? Because the majority of these types of people, well, their background, they always wear camo or that green olive color, that a jungle color, they would call it. And I look up on this stuff and more history. Apparently, this movie got a lot of flack when it first came out. I guess because the whole thing with, um, at that era with Newswise, you had, like, a Summer of Sam, you had the Night Stalker, the Zodiac Killer, and it was just, I guess, in disco and cocaine, right? So I guess who knew everybody was hyped up on something? It was life, le- uh, life, death, liberty, <laughs> or the pursuit of happiness. Anyhow, when they go on to the next scene, he just screams out loud, like it was a big flashback. And you can tell that this, when you first see the part when he's just, like, mowing back and forth up against the wall, you know, like, up against the bed, and he just hasn't had a good sleep in a long time. This guy suffers from bad PTSD. Oh, uh, I mean, you should see, well, I don't want to give it away till the very end, but he apparently has, like he wakes up in his room, and his room is like the nightmares of nightmares. I'm talking about, he's got, like, dolls everywhere, porcelain dolls everywhere, eyes that are, like, burned out, Arm pieces that are in like the leg pieces, the leg pieces that are in the arm pieces, very, very. What's that French called? I don't know what, but it's very wow. It just it gave me nightmares. Just like I would not want to be in that room. So I had to get a drink there real quickly. I'm going on a rant here. Anyway, when um uh, Frank uh next thing he shows up there wakes up from the nightmare and um he pretty much starts getting the, the ready for the night. Um, he has like an altar of some woman in the black and white, you know, like um, fo- uh, photography or photo that's framed out in brass, you know, like framing with candles everywhere. So you're thinking maybe it could be a mom story or the diehard Catholic. Who knows? I mean, I know I am. Anyway, um, sorry, guys. I just the missus is supposed to be here. She's in Colorado right now. So it was supposed to be both of us here tonight, but I'm going to try everything I can to make this a fun and acceptable and hopefully uh, a good show here. We all start once. We all fall down many, many times. We pick ourselves back up. Well, anyway, when he starts getting ready and everything, he starts having these moments of, like, I warned you not to come out. Didn't I tell you not to come out? Why didn't you come Why, why did you go out when I told you not to? Like, this guy's got some very, very strong problems and stuff. Well, as he's heading out to the door, um, he pretty much tells his apartment of whoever it is or oh, or the um, mannequin that he sleeps right next to, a bloody mannequin. And the clothes kind of look familiar, like from his dream. You don't know if it was a dream or not, but it might have been from his first victim. So he just looks at her and he says, I'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. Of course, she's not going to go anywhere. She's handcuffed to the bedpost. Like like to see what this guy does with parties on a Friday night anyway, um I find my notes here, oh yes, 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 there we go. There's my notes. all right, that's why we're all here, folks. We're all here to to make sure I do everything right here organization that's right. that's the key word here organization anyway, um uh, let's see starts the name. next thing, he's in downtown New York city. I mean, back in the late 70s when it was perfect. It was great. You had the per- the, the perfect scene for any type of movie, which it was a, a Death Wish movie like Charles Bronson or a Canon film from the 80s. You had marquees everywhere. You had a grindhouse on 42nd Street. I mean, it was just perfect the way it was. I wish I could have been there during that time to see all that stuff. Everything from fucking, like, Linda Lovelace to... Uh, let's see, who who was there? So, um, uh, speak, uh, uh to these Italian horror films that were overseas that people were kind of afraid to watch, but they were the best right there. And I'm saying Josephinell was one of the greatest out there when it came to it. The guy was just a Renaissance uh, man. Apparently he was a ladies' man, too, not just for making this movie, but um, there's one key scene uh, here where he um, meets this woman and she needs, he's a hooker, I'm not going to lie, she is, She's a lady of the night. And she just needs one more John to um to make her rent. Well, the funny thing is how he they didn't get a lot of women to, well, precisely the main actress to um to audition for this. But like I said, Joe had his works and he had his ways. He actually um got a hold of local um porno stars, and all the victims in his move in this movie, Maniac, are all porno stars from the 70s. At that time, they were. And, hey, a buck's a buck, man, right? I mean, heck, that's what you do in that time. And to be honest, compare with, when they had their small little acting bits here and they were um, talking to, like, Frank, who was, you know, our main leading man. Um, not bad. I was actually impressed. I was impressed on how they did their dialogue and everything. Instead of kind of like with today's, with, you know, browsers and stuff, and it's just like, let's just get on with the doing. Let's get on with fucking, let's get it over with. And just like. Oh my God! You're here. Are you going to help me? Yeah, sure, babe. And then boom, it goes to a scene here. I mean, these ladies are actually working hard and everything, but it's nice that um. So we're walking into the hotel room, him and the him in the hooker, and then um, the front desk guy. Uh, another uh, Easter egg here is actually the director of the movie Maniac, which is uh William. trying to find him. Yeah, it's William Lusting. Yeah. He uh, also directed a couple of, uh, uh, you know, porno movies back in the 70s. And with their connections together, they got their ladies to be in their movies, their first screen queen. So we actually, uh, Frank going into the hotel room after we get to see a little Easter egg there of William being the front desk clerk, the director. And next scene pretty, uh, pretty much is, uh, you can see it in her eyes She's like, man, I really don't want to do this, but I need the money. Just one more, one more, one more trick, and it's over with. And I can go home and eat my noodles and Dr. Pepper or Coke or whatever and and cry myself to sleep and continue the next day. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say that, but hey, that's just how it is, right? Frank is lying there on the bed waiting for her and asked her, have you ever modeled before anything like that? He's one of those types where, like a voyeur, he likes to watch with his eyes. His eyes, his mind gives him the focus of what he's going to do and how he's going to do it. You know, real gentleman, in other words. The next scene, though, you see her coming out and she starts modeling, you know, starts, like, putting her foot up and she's wearing those, like, 60s, 70s go-go, you know, ethnic boots, as they would call them back in the day. And, you know, he's just breathing hard his, um, his trademark. If you see this movie, his trademark. And you're like, uh-oh, something's going to happen here, and it's not going to be pretty. Well, for us, anyway, horror fans, we're going to love it. I'm telling you, if you ever have a chance to see this movie, folks, please do this on, like, a must. The Elijah Wood remake was very good. It had its moments, don't get me wrong, and Elijah Wood is a huge horror fanatic. I mean, there's a documentary of him meeting up with Greg Nicotero, who actually Tom Savini's Francis, um, who is now the master. He's now the new gore master. He goes, like, Walking Dead and all the other gore films that pretty much are out there in today's um, market. Well, he uh, did his first movie, uh horror film, which was Maniac, a uh, remake of it. And he did, he did a pretty good job at it, I have to say. I might do that one day, but right now I'm going to just stick with the grindhouse there. Um, but anyway, back to it, uh, she starts dancing, starts going at it, and starts going very slowly, taking her clothes off, and then she says, you know, like, Money, you know, you're going to pay me, you know, the money's, you know, the clock is ticking. He goes, don't worry, I've got tons of it. Of course he does. He probably took it from all the other victims. Like, someone, this isn't a paying gig, you know. Anyhow, next, um, he just waits for her, starts getting on top. They start kissing, making out. And then for some weird reason, it's not a turn-on anymore. It's more becoming reality. And he's not, like, fantasy and reality are no longer a bar away from each other. They are now, like, they don't coexist. So when he starts looking at her, he starts seeing this other woman in his eyes. And it's, of course, the POV. And then he starts getting very raged, very angry. And you're like, what did happen? I mean, come on. You have a beautiful woman here who's trying to get the time of day and also get paid for it. You know, and here you are. And then he just walks away and goes, I'm sorry. I don't want to hurt you. And she goes, you're not hurting me. You're not hurting me. Well, they start going at it again and before you know it, he loses it and starts choking the shit out of her. I mean, like, Jospino was a pretty big guy. You might oh, did you guys ever see The Godfather? He was one of um uh uh I would say Michael's uh uh Al Pacino's character, Michael Corleone, one of his uh guys. He was also in part two of The Godfather when he was being um had to testify in front of um the Senators. So Give you a little feel there. But he's not a, you know, he's a pretty big guy. Anyway, he starts choking her and just starts going at it, and then he just starts, like, screaming, get off, get off. It's, it's, I don't want this anymore. I want to leave. And he's like, you knew, you knew, you knew. I told you not to go out. I told you not to go out, and you did anyway. And then, of course, her faith changes again into this other woman, and you're like, okay, the audience is like, what are we looking at here? Is this, like... Maybe an ex-girlfriend, maybe a wife, perhaps, he lost, or with this type of situation, a mother. I mean, it is the 70s, isn't it, folks? the best times in the world. Anyway, some type of Oedipus Rex syndrome going on here in his mind. Well, he starts choking her, and one thing leads to another, and she finally croaks and dies. I'm not going to lie, when it comes to the direction of uh, this movie, they really stretch it out. Like, they really want the audience to feel very uncomfortable of what this guy is doing. But the more you watch, the more you're like, man, I've got to continue seeing this. this. This is messed up. Is this real? I mean, and then when my father saw this in the theater, he pretty much said he just got back to numb. So, anyway, there, so when he saw this a while back, He saw it on opening night downtown Baltimore, or I think it was Baltimore, Boston, somewhere up there. Anyway, um, he said people were walking out. They were feeling disturbed and kind of like The Exorcist. You know, the same thing happened back in 73 when he just got back. I mean, him and his guys were laughing, but he said a lot of people were demanding their money. They were sick, and um, the funny thing is when this movie premiered at uh, Cannes Film Festival that year, um, the producer never saw this movie. He just produced it, and he stands up. You know, he stands up in front of the audience during the film, and he yells out loud, pretty much saying, "There should be laws, man, for pieces of the shit like this movie being made." And it's like, dude, you're the one who came up with the money. It's not, you know, our fault. You never showed. You never showed up when we were showing what we were doing. Well, anyway, it's it a side note. It's very funny about that, and it's just. I loved it. I thought I, I laughed so hard when I heard about that. It's in a documentary uh, that's also with the um, Maniac uh, Blu-ray special edition. Anyway, Frank um, goes. We'll go back to the movie. Frank kills her. Pretty much strangles her to death, and it's over. And then of course, going to the bathroom, throws up, like, and starts crying, whimpering, "Mommy, what did you do? What did you do? I didn't want to do it." And then everybody's like, "Uh oh!" So we have an edifice wreck syndrome. Mommy, son, very Norman Bates. All right, I can dig it. Um, Let's keep going. Well, he continues, starts crying, and he says, why do you make me do these things, Mommy, every night? I didn't want to do it. Why? And he pretty much takes out his uh, extracto blade, and the next thing, it shows a close-up of her, and then he holds her hair up, Really closely, and the and there's a close up on this on the on the camera, and you just starts cutting her scalp like the forehead of it, and very deep, and there's like blood everywhere. And even, when I saw this for the first time, I saw it when I was ten years old, like I said, on VHS with my father in the living room. And my dad is pretty much going, "Yeah, that's pretty much it. You got to give it up for Tom, man. He knew what he was doing. Both of them in Vietnam, so." understandable they saw realistic core they saw what it was like you know over there and he says he uh, studied human anatomy so this special effect here is like we're talking guinea pig experiment like quality very good so like I say starts it up and then when he starts grabbing the hair and pulling it back you can hear the skin on the bone outside the skull the bone you know that and it just and it comes off it's like Oh, wow. My dad is laughing his ass off. Meanwhile, I'm 10 years old, and my face is gone. I mean, it's just white. I'm just like, I was whiter than white, and I'm a white guy. So it's like, I'm just whiter than white. He goes, you okay? You want a toy (laughs) board? I just looked at him going, like a tech favorite cartoon with my eyes going, awesome. So it was like, and then my mom pretty much goes, well, it's downhill from here. At least you're spending quality time together, like father and son should. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, I tell you about my personal life there. There you go. Uh I grew up with this. I grew up with a lot of movies like this. Um my like I said, my father um and my mom they were bo- um they were born in you know in the late fift- mid mid early 50s, so around the 6 uh 60s and 70s time, they had all the drive-in movies. They had all like the grindhouse era films. They had all the radioactive spider, you know, movies and stuff. I mean and I would watch these movies as a kid growing up. Like my father would always um, get me going with the Roger Corman films, let's say, like anything that had to do, deal with Edgar Allan Poe, being from Baltimore and everything, and Vincent Price. That was my first boogeyman. Like Dr. Five, Dr. Five's Rises Again, those were probably one of the greatest films I have ever seen when it comes to classic, Like um, I guess you would say classic uh 50s con- contemporary or whatever the, uh, the title is. It's just, and then when I saw *Theater of Blood*, oh, that was the creme de la creme. I was also during the Grinding House era, which I will also be talking about that here in weeks to come. Um, but then my mom, on her side, it would mostly be um, a vampire movie, like the Hammer films. She loved Christopher Lee, Peter Cushing, um, anything that had to deal with that. Um, she also loved the, that's the Hammer films, um, vampires. Oh, werewolves, the Universal monsters. Stuff like that, and also like um, those um, those really really when they try to bring back those movies in the 70s, those monster films like uh, Reptilicus or, um, or uh, humanoid stuff like that, Planet Terror. Um, those are really good films that I watched growing up as a kid, and of course led me to the films that I like today. You know stuff like, like I said, I love The Grindhouse era stuff like Quentin Tarantino does. Robert Rodriguez, the El Ray channel. Guys, check it out if you have it. I promise you, you will not be disappointed with that. Um, the Shaw films, Kung Fu films, Kung Fu Theater, Shokazuki, stuff like that. I mean, that's where, to me, the best movie marketing and the best movies of all time. Canon films, everything. It's so, all, like I said, it started from the grind out there on us. So, anyway, back to the movie is the same here for Maniac. Um, so he, likes to scalps her, and then he goes back to his apartment, and a uh, neighbor walks by and says, how you doing, Frank? Good to see you. Merry Christmas. Yeah, this all takes place during Christmas. <laughs> so, um, of course, he says to his neighbor, uh, you know, Merry Christmas to you, too. And he's got a big plastic uh, trash bag, you know, black plastic trash bag. And when he gets inside his apartment, well, there's the old dummy there, and puts her to the side, opens it up. There's a new mannequin dummy there. Looks like, kind of looks like her eyes and her uh, facial features. Kind of majority looks like the victim, the hooker he just killed. And also he has a plastic sandwich bag. Kind of moist and kind of dirty. Opens it up. It's her scalp. That's right. You heard it here first, folks. It's her. He gets a nail and he puts, you know, and and a hammer. And he pretty much drives it down and, you know, onto the head. And you're just like, oh my God, he sleeps with them. Yes, he does. He sleeps with, a representation, I guess, of his mother in different body forms. The Same as rep- I don't know. I it's just it's great. The psychology of this character, Frank uh, Zito, played by Joe Spinell, it is amazing. It's the inner monologues when he talks about. Um, How bad it is out there? How you're not safe if you go out there? I guess talking about his mother in these inner monologues. Stay home with me. You don't need to go and see him. Never know who him is, or go see all the other gentlemen. You know he talks about this, and I guess that's why he goes out and tries to bring her home, except in a in his own weird, violent way. Well. He's at the edge of the bed, of course, and he's rocking back and forth like Mick Foley, Mankind. That's a good idea, good representation right there. That's what it kind of reminds me of, yeah, the inner struggle, the inner demons and stuff of of that character. That's how Frank is. He's torn. He knows he's doing – in his mind, he thinks he's doing something right, but he knows it's wrong. But he has to do it because no one else will. Well, he finds the newspaper, and right there, you know, you can pretty much see he's not looking at the camera, but he's looking at the fourth wall, just not eyesight, you know, in your eye, you know, the audience's eyes, and looking at a newspaper. And it says, Maniac is still on the loose, New York Times, and big uh, uh, bold letter, black bold letter for the white newspaper, and you know, the cliches on this. It's just awesome, and he just starts rolling back and forth with his hands and, you know, near his chest. Like, you know, like Mankind did, like Mick Foley did, if you guys know uh, WWE. Well, anyway, the next scene, he's got a guitar case. I know a guitar case, and this is where we're going. Yep, he's got a guitar case. And he's unzipping it because uh, it's really nice, really uh, beautiful. And inside it is a, dis- a, dis- a uh shotgun. Yeah, a double-barrel shotgun. He's getting it all set up, eating, you know, Cracker Jacks, because, hey, Cracker Jacks is great, man. One of my personal favorites. Anyway, he gets in his car and he starts driving away. And, of course, like he always says before he leaves, don't, you know, I'll be back. Don't go out. So he gets in his car and he's driving away. And the next scene here—it's um, probably one of the best special effects I have ever seen in my entire life. I'm not saying that just because it was Tom Savini. Oh, hold on a second. We got a call here. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Hello? Howdy. Hey, how you doing there?
1: Hey, just wanted to listen in, catch, catch a little bit of your
0: show today, man. How we doing? Hey, we're doing okay. We're doing all right, and we're doing all right. Sorry, guys, I was going yep. on a rant there, and I was, so.
1: Give, giving us a little bit of insider information on the grindhouse, I see.
0: Yes, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I know I'm babbling on and stuff, and my better half is supposed to be here, so hopefully I'm not going off off on a rail too much. I like what you're doing, man. Keep up the good work. All right. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. You hear that, folks? Appreciation. That's all I ask for. I deliver. You, you demand it, and I deliver it, folks. That's what I'm here for.
1: That's, all right. that's, that's what we like to hear, man. That's what we like to hear. Absolutely.
0: Well, anyway, I was about tell to discuss here on this next Tell us a little, us a little bit scene.
1: about what you got going on, man. Hey, tell us a little bit more about what you got go- coming up on your show.
0: Got going? You got it. Well, one of my favorite scenes I said here is about to happen here in horror movie history. Not just because it was done by Tom Savini, because it is Tom Savini, and he is in this scene. Yes. Um, Frank follows this young couple uh, from a disco attack. And, of course, it's like, okay, this is going to be a good one right here. So they park, you know, it's, 70, it's, a, it's a firebird, really nice one, you know. And um, Tom Savini, very young Tom Savini, mind you, starts flirting, you know, with his Italian charm that he is because he's awesome. Looks, he's probably the best. I would have no problem of my wife leaving uh, me for Tom Savini, even now. The guy's awesome. Well, anyway, they start making out and everything, and they say, "Let's go to the back seat and let's really get it on." So they're about to go and get it on, and then there's this other car that drives up behind them, very quietly, very nonchalant. You know, it's really nice. It's like, and within 20 to 30 feet before he reaches to him, he turns off the light. Frank has done this many, many times. I noticed that he wears like a like a. Uh, a green jacket, like a military, uh, uh, what do you call it, Um, uh, olive green uh, jungle jacket that's got an insignia on it, and I recognize it. So I was, of course, asking my dad, he's really good at this self and stuff. My father's being recon, and he goes, my dad was like, I wouldn't be surprised at all if Frank was, you know, it was in the military or something, or he just knew people. So this guy's awesome. Anyway, Tom Savini isn't. Thomas Vini's in the backseat and it's really getting on. I mean, trust me, still got clothes on and everything. We're still doing good here. But um they're about to go in the backseat and then uh the young girl starts um uh starts freaking out because she said, Oh my god, I see somebody. I see somebody and Tom was like, yeah, What are you talking about? I mean, it's just me, you know, it's just us. It's the it's the moment. It's the heat of the moment. Sorry. I know. Cheap pop there, cheap pop. What do you think, Mr. Frog? <laughs> exactly. Anyway. Uh yeah, I got Mr. Frog. That that is our um that is our what do you call it? That is that is our uh, marquee cap here on my desk is uh, Mr. Froggy. Uh while they're about to go at it and have a good time, um, she sees him again and it's Frank. Like Frank is like like he looks like total perk. I'm not lying. I
1: mean
0: he <laughs> he looks total creeper, like you can see his eyes like you know those cartoons you see or those little spray paint insignias of, like, the face and the two hands over the, like, uh, over the gate? And you just see their eyes, you know, and their eyes are, like, look like two, you know, like, uh, 50-cent pieces. They're just very big and, like, like a tex savory cartoon. Well, that's what it looks like. And you can hear him breathing very, very hard. It's like, oh, man. And then, of course, Tom is, like, raising her skirt and, you know, touching her inner thigh and stuff. Well, one thing leads to another. She says she sees. She goes, I can't, I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do this anymore. Uh, Let's just go home. I just want to go home. And he's like, Come on, you want to be spontaneous? Let's do this. It'll be great. And she goes, No, no, no. Let's just go home. Well, one thing leads to another. Like, okay, they go in the uh, go back in the front seat. And when they go in the front seat, this is it, folks. Uh, They show a close up of Tom Savini and a close up of. She's credited as Disco Girl because that's what they were. They were at a disco. So, um, uh, Disco Girl. And she's screaming, like, oh my God, drive, just drive, just drive. And Tom is just looking, just, what? what? You know, like, you know, like every guy does in a horror film, you know, duh, what? What? You know, everyone. so dumbfounded. And then when they start the lights, you see what he's um the uh, the headlights come on, and Tom and of course Frank is right there, and you see what he's carrying in his hand. He's got the double barrel shotgun. He runs, he jumps up, runs up to the hood of the front hood of the car, points the gun, point blank at Tom's face, pulls the trigger, now squeezes the trigger on both barrels, and then boom! In slow motion, it oh my God! It was probably one of the best special effects ever and for practical effects there's like his scalp goes one end the head goes another i mean and there's just red everywhere and not like a bright red like you can tell it's really fake gore you know fake blood like die hard uh like dark blood like how it would look like before oxygen hits it and it's just everywhere and it goes in a slow motion when when you see the effect of the buckshot, you know, like close blank branch hitting Tom's face. You couldn't even tell it was Tom Tom Savini's real head and then it goes to the prosthetic head. And the funny note is what was in there was nothing but uh, it was um, uh, uh, red dye, dark red dye, um, I think uh, purple and black as well, and shrimp cocktail sauce. And uh, on the pieces of meat were nothing but uh, just shrimp. That's all it was. And it gets all over the girl. And a practical effects, the still, stuff still works, trust me. I've made a, a couple of horror films just with me and my friends, and we've done this with the foam, lo- uh, foam la- uh, latex and then the caro syrup and all that. We've tried to make our own Evil Dead uh, fan films here. I know everyone else has tried. Well, the next scene, um, you know, she's all crying. She's screaming. And this scene pretty much just really, really stretches out to the point where it's just he just keeps going, and she's screaming, and he's pointing the barrel right at I mean, it's touching her face to the point. And it's, I can tell you probably everybody in the audience at that point was like saying, dude, just put her out of her misery. I mean, come on. Just get it over with, dude. She has no more. She, she's peed herself to the point of nothing. She can't. You just do it. Just do it. And, of course, Frank just puts her out of her misery. Is a POV shot of the barrel going off. As in, you're the victim. And when the gun goes off, boom, it's over. Quick, simple, right there. And then it goes to the net. Uh, after that, uh, we get a quick shot of cops around saying, wow, this is the second or third one this week. It's all over the news. Um, we got to find this guy. You know, of course, cops being cops, you know, it's like they'll find him, whatever. Of course, takes uh, probably towards the minute of the movie. Well, anyway, the next scene, Frank, I mean, He's in his pajamas, course clean, you know, no blood on him, but, man, just sweat everywhere, like a cold, gay sweat, you know, just, like, and he's just looking just out in space. Like, he looks like he, he can't do this anymore, but he has to. It's like all the nightmares in his eyes. You can tell that thousand-yard stare. He's got it. Well, anyhow, he just turns around, and he starts talking to somebody. In his bed, I told you. I know better. They're never going to find you. Because I'm going to be one step ahead every time they try to find you. You don't think I know, but I know. And they know that they'll never find you. And I'll make sure you'll never leave. And you're like, what the hell is he talking to? And then it goes a whiteout shot. And it's the victim, it's Disco Girl mannequin disco girl with the scalp and everything and well what's left of a scalp anyway um and what happens he handcuffs himself to her to the mannequin saying I'm so happy I'm so happy that you're here and you're not leaving and you know goes back and forth back and forth like you know McFoley mankind you know and he's just whimpering to himself and it goes and when he whimpers it goes and they just keep doing it for maybe about two minutes or so and it's just wow it's just like actions folks it's just like it's better than words dude it's just like that and then it fades to a slow you know fade to black and you're just like okay that was very very you know uh devious or very disturbing at the same time very macabre and it's like they go more on into it in the remake because I guess they had more of a budget to find out more about his mind and stuff. Like they actually show flashbacks of him as a ch- Frank as a child and what his mother did to him. Well, Anyway, in the next scene, you see two young kids. Oh, by the way, this is the first daytime shot. Yeah, almost halfway through the movie, and this is the first daytime shot we get. So I guess Frank took a day off. So. So he's walking around Central Park. He sees these two moms talking, having a good time, you know, about um, what are you doing this weekend? Oh, me and the kids, we're going to go and do this. And then, you know, my husband's going to do this. What about you? Oh, me and the guy, you know, you know, small talk. Anyway, the two kids, uh, they go on their bikes. I guess they're friends. They say, let's go ride our bikes. But mom said, no, we have to stick here and stay here. Well, anything. They start riding their bikes, and then one goes a little bit too faster than the other, you know, trying to catch up. And he runs in the Frank, not hard, just really, you know, just like bumps in. And Frank, of course, holds the, um, all you see are the hands, you know, of the gloves, like Frank has all the time. And he tells the little girl, you know, be careful, little girl, you know. And you're like, oh, come on, Frank, don't. Walks away. You know, he's got a smile, a genuine smile, and walks away. And it's like, okay, thank God, you're not one of those. Okay, good. So he just likes to kill people who remind him of his mother. Anyway. This is the first time, and then how he turns around in the distance, and he sees this lady taking a picture, you know, photography and everything. You know, downtown New York, uh, model photography, and it's the first um, appearance of the lovely uh, Carolyn Monroe. That's right. She's finally in the movie, folks. So, taking pictures and stuff. Um, Frank sees her, and then um, goes up, walks towards her while she's walking away, trying to get more shots, I guess. He um, goes up to her bag, her camera bag, and he sees the, um, the uh, I guess, the address, the little pamphlet on there that shows the, who it belongs to, and remembers it. You can hear the the music in the background, you know, like a little sinister, and like, uh-oh, now he knows. Well, next shot apparently goes straight to midnight. <laughs> he starts walking on an abandoned street or just a vacant street around, it looks like, maybe one or two in the morning. And he's going through all these department stores, and he's looking at all of these mannequins. And they're all, like, beautiful. They're all dressed up like brides or uh, winter clothing. Some of them are even got bikinis on, I guess, you know, to catch up for next summer, uh, jackets. And you're just hearing him, like, moaning, not like in a dirty way, but moaning like, he's loaned for this. He misses this, especially when he sees one who's dressed up like a bride and has got wings. And she's got dark hair. And I guess it reminds him of his mother. He starts, like, um, moping and crying a little bit more. And you see his hands. You never see, you know, you see a, a silhouette of his face. But you see his hands, like, trying to get in there. Kind of like the zombies from uh, the original Dawn of the Dead when they're in the, um, at the Pennies when Roger and all of them are hiding. And they're like, let me in, let me in. I guess he just misses it. The love or whatever the attention he got from his real mother instead of what he has in his mind. Well, Anyway, after that, he sees two night nurses. I know what you're thinking, folks, where this is going, right? So, well, they're just about to get off from the graveyard shift. Oh, thank you. I'm here all day. Anyway, they talk about how, yeah, there's this maniac on the loose, and we just need to get out of here. And um, are you sure you you, want to stay here? I mean, my boyfriend's coming to pick me up. We can give you a ride if you like. And she's like, oh, of course not. No, you know. I'll just walk and take to the subway and and of course she's like, Okay, well here's here he is right here. Are you sure you don't need a ride? I'll be fine, thanks. Okay, see you tomorrow. See you tomorrow. Nice, nice. Wow, I'm just like like I said when I first saw the ten years old, like she deserves it. She's asking for it. <laughs> you're you are attempting fate like I'm right here. It's it's like the guy. It's like those characters from or um all the teenagers from Final Destination. Why are you trying to do this? Uh, you know, attempt space. Just stop. Just stop and stay inside. Anyway, Frank sees her, his next victim, a night nurse now, getting off, and of course she has the same newspaper that Frank had earlier on in the movie. Maniac is still on the loose. You know, in black bold letter, and it says New York Times. I love that New York Times. (laughs) Anyway, he goes there, and, of course, he's walking to see, you know, he's walking, Frank, like, nonchalant. And he's like, ooh, well, hello there, you know. And, of course, she sees him across the street as well. So she decides, okay, I'm going to start walking. (laughs) This is what really gets me here, folks. You see somebody, there's a maniac that's on the loose, scalping women's heads and killing them. And they can't find the scalps or they leave them in a bloody mess like Jack the Ripper. And you're about to get off work and you work at a night shift somewhere and you decide to just walk home instead of going back inside the hospital. That's where this lady works at, you know, and just stay there with the security guard until the sun comes up or get or ask him to arrange a shuttle, a taxi, or just get one of the paramedics to drive you home or something, you know. No, she decides to walk at off. And, of course, she turns around every five seconds. All you do is see the feet of Frank in his polyester pants, you know, walking, walking, walking. And then she turns around. She sees it again. Walk, walk, walk. And now she starts walking faster and faster and faster. Then she goes downtown into one of the subways, and, and it looks like a scene from um, – the Warriors, like you're waiting for like, you know, you're waiting for like Jax to show up or you're waiting for uh, Swan or, um, you know, all the others just to show up, Cowboy, every, everyone, just to show up and and, and have a fight with, um, what was the name of that, a subway gang, I, I can't remember. Um, but like, and they're just going at it while she's trying to run away from the maniac. But, of course, this is like one or two in the morning, there's nothing going on. And there's nobody around. Nobody is there. Not a security guard. Not a cop. Um, not even homeless people. Not even you know. You know, here's the, the late '70s, man. You know, or early '80s when they made this movie. I mean, I know around that time downtown, downtown, you know, it was like they were everywhere. I mean, not saying that's a bad thing. It's just that we, everyone has them in their towns. I know they would stay on the subways because it got super cold. You know they would, you know, keep themselves warm. So, well, anyway, she's running and running and trying to get this door open, like you know, subway door cart open, as a, just to save her. You know, save her life. And of course, it doesn't open. It doesn't open at all. Uh, it just, it just rides away by itself. Just rides off into the sunset. And then it's a, it's a like a faraway shot, and you can tell there's nobody there. It's just her. It's just her, man. And it's like, oh, wow, I feel so sorry for you. But speaking of, um, of endurance of this uh, scene, and she just starts screaming and running again, Frank does not lose a step when he's stalking her. This is probably one of the best and one of the most monumental stalking scenes I have ever seen in my life. What I mean now, folks, is like, you know how like Jason Voorhees, cam counselors, like if you played the video game or if you've seen the movies or whatever, he just walks. They're running and running and running and running and running and running and running. And then they fall down, of course, catch their breath and run and run and run. And then they hide somewhere and ah, there's nobody there, right? So they keep walking and they hear oh, something behind them. They turn around and there's nobody there. And then, boom, what happens? Freddie, Jason, Michael, uh, Baba, you know, Leatherface, uh, they're right there and just guts them right there in front of them. And they didn't even miss a beat. Well, That's how this is going on with Frank. He's just walking, like, taking his time, checking out the area, just keeps walking and walking while she's running. I mean, she should be two or three miles away from this guy, and he has no supernatural powers. He's not an undead being from hell that just shows up out of nowhere. He's just just a normal guy, well, physically anyway, mentally, you know. So, but anyway, he just walks and walks, and he's just checking out everything. There's nobody around. He's about to go downstairs. Then he turns to his left and realizes there's a there's a, a bathroom right there. And it's the old subway bathrooms where you know, or just like today, you know, there's no door there to walk in there. It's just the um, there's just the the uh, the hallway. You know, you just go in there. You know, there's no door. so or archway. There's just an archway to go in there. Anyway, he walks in there, nice and quiet. Looks. And mind you, she's in the very, she's in the last, she's in the um, in the handicap uh, uh stall in the very, very back, and she's got her back up against the wall. So, and she's trying to hold herself, you know, composure herself, trying not to scream or trying not to yell. And you can tell in her face, she's like, I don't know if anyone has ever been truly scared or they've been so afraid. That they try to hold their scare in and they can't do it. Your body starts trembling, starts shaking. Um, you might bite your tongue or your inner cheek just so you don't do it. Or you just might faint. I mean, that is like a an, uh, a fright, a scaredness or a frightness that I've never had to deal with. And that hopefully I never will have to. Unless Frank is coming after me. But it's a answer this in story. Anyway, she holds herself. She holds her composure. She's shaking, trembling, and just... Of course, you know, just probably just letting it all out. And then when she finally hears him leave, he just walks away. So she takes it. She exhales, you know, and then high of composure. She looks outside to see if he's there, you know, just a little peep head outside, and there's nobody around. And that's the only way in, of course. So she starts a sigh of relief. He's gone. Okay, I'm done. And just goes, you know, walks away, you know, combs her hair, looks herself in the mirror and stuff. And what I don't get is, how did she know he was the maniac? Am I right? I mean, if she knew if there was a physical, you know, like a a description of the perpetrator, you know, this is what he looks like, I can understand. But I guess, you know, in everyone's own mind. So, anyway, next thing. Like I said, she's in there, um, splashing water on herself, you know, just laughing, pointing at herself, going, ha-ha, you know, you just scared yourself. Why did you do that? You know, so she goes back into the water, and then who does she find when she uh, gets up from the water in the reflection of the mirror? Frank. That's right. Frank is right there, and he just... You don't even – it's just like, like like, I said about Freddie or Jason. They just appear out of nowhere. It's just like he was playing with her the whole time. He shows up right there, smiles, and says, I told you. I told you. He's got this large M14 bayonet and just sticks her, just pick sticks her right through her, through her chest, through her, through her sternum from the back. And he just yells out loud, it's nice. Isn't it nice? It's nice. I told you. And he just looks at himself in the mirror, and he's got that, like, Joker smile in his eyes. Or, you know, he's in the moment. He loved it. So, and then the fun thing is they do a close-up of the bayonet, and he's cleaning the blood off. And the blood, it just goes, like, of course, you know, these are the movies. It just it, just dis- it disappears once it hits it, you know, like a watered-down Hawaiian punch. Well, the next scene, uh, he puts it back, and um, he's back in his room. And they're showing a close-up of all the weapons he's used, all everything that he's had, everything's bloodied, everything's gone. Uh, there's a new um, Daily Tribune that says Maniac Mutilations at an all-time high. And he's talking to the nurse now, who is his new mannequin, I guess. You know, bee sculptor. her. And now he's dressed up like, this is funny, he's got like these really nice diva sunglasses on. He's got a really nice uh, sports coat on. I want say smoking jacket like Hugh Hefner, and he's got the bun underneath it, and he's got the insignia on the smoke on the smoking jacket, and he's just like, now, what are we going to do with you right now, hmm? Oh, don't worry. It's just little blood. It'll come off. I promise. A little bit of shampoo will go along the way, you know. Now, you'll always be forever beautiful, always forever, and then he goes back to his, feel like, how many voices? How many people live in you, Frank? Because it's just—it's it, amazing. I love it. It's like they all coexist for the greater good. Uh how to get a Dr. Pepper there? Okay. Anyway, next scene we um uh, uh, over here is um oh um yeah. Now this from this point on the movie, I don't know what it is, but it starts becoming a drama. And I don't mean like, oh, you mean like there's there's a dramatic uh, uh, like uh, dramatic presence in the horror film? No, this becomes like a like a regular drama movie, like something you would watch. Because, okay, remember when I said earlier that Frank found uh, the um, the camera equipment and had her name and number? Well, anyway, the, the next scene is cut is uh, uh, Carolyn Monroe, and she's in a dark room, and she's uh um what do you call it? Developing the photos you know, of all of her models and everything, the pictures she took. Well, anyway, she's uh, developing the one picture that has Frank holding the bicycle of the little girl, making sure, you know, watch out, little girl. You don't want you to hurt yourself. And, when, of course, he looks up, and, you know, there's the picture taken. And out of the blue, within three or four uh, – not even not not even three to four seconds, there's a – at the door, and who is it? It's our leading man, our loving leading man, Frank. Yeah. Frank is right there, and you're like, okay, how did that happen? You know, it's just like, it's just weird. And then all of a sudden, he's dressed, and here's here it is, folks. He's not all breathing hard. He's not all, like, um, in certain, like, clothes that would make you feel like, you know, a guy in an ice cream, you know, like, in an ice cream truck or something like, you know, free ice cream for kids. It's like, and there's the creeper driving it, you know, that type of look. No, he's in a nice, you know, nice suit, you know. It's, it's a late 70s, early 80s polyester, something nice with jeans, you know, on, you know, bell bottoms. His hair is combed, looks nice, you know, clean cut shaven, except for his, you know, power stash that he has. Very, very Burt Reynolds. There you go. I would say very Burt Reynolds. Um, And he's just there, and he's talking to her, and he's talking about how he loves his photography. He loves her, how would you like about selling these, you know. You can tell that you really love your craft as much as I do. And she goes, well, what are you craft? Oh, I'm a collector of of lovely things as well. And she goes, oh, okay. Of course, you know, everybody in the audience is like, yeah, we know what it is. Well, anyway, he looks at all of her pictures, you know, throughout her uh, studio apartment in downtown Manhattan. And he's just like, he's normal. He's not being creepy. He's not doing anything. And the next scene, uh you know well, he just starts talking, and, and, like I said, just admiring her work, and like you should do this for her. you know, you should sell your stuff and uh maybe get a um a gallery going and have things set up, and you know, I know certain people that will help out with that. And she goes, really he goes, yeah, and I mean, and he he's doing it all for the for the best attention, not for the wrong ones, like I'm want to scalp her, i'm gonna put her on the wall like all the others no, so what does he do? What does our boyfriend do? He asks her out on a date. Yeah, I know, right, folks? He asks her out on the date. Carol Monroe is probably one of the hottest women uh, from the 70s and 80s. I mean, from movies to Adam Ant videos to everything. And of course, she goes, "That would be wonderful. I would love that." And of course, they go to a little uh, nice little Italian restaurant here. Um, here, uh, the Italian restaurant in the movie. You know, it's one of his favorites. In fact, it is one of his favorites um, in real life. And he just talked to the uh, the manager, and without. Saying or anything, they said, Yeah, sure, we'll do it. And everybody in the background, they're not actors. They're just real people there just eating. Like I said, Frank had a lot of connection ever since he uh, did a lot of movies. He was friends with Sylvester Stallone for a very, very long time. They actually uh, uh, started working together when they were young and throughout the neighborhood. Um, like I said, um, he got in the movies like The Godfather and he tried to get Sly into it, but apparently they said Sly. Wasn't the part they were looking for, so. But he still helped him out throughout his movies, like. And of course, he was the bookie in Rocky, the first one. Uh, worked. He was the one that Sly works for in Rocky one and Rocky two. Well, anyway, like I said, he had the connections and stuff, so he would do that on a regular basis. He, from what I heard, he was a you know, a of the community. He was a, one of the nicest guys. He lived with his mother until you know, to the very end. Uh, she passed away, and you know, unfortunately of. of was at that time of older age. Of course, he was heartbroken, you know. But they always, they, he had his apartment. And they would always, you know, they'd live together. That was his mom. So it makes me me wonder stuff like this. Like, is there certain aspects to the movie as well as to reality? But during this time, his mother was still alive, you know, kicking and living, and breathing, and having a great time. And she loved his movie. She always saw him as an actor. He wanted to be, like, the next Broadway star for the next um, Academy Award winner, you know. So, well, anyway, not um, to get away from uh, the movie. Next scene is, like, they're at that nice little Italian eatery having a great time, Um, and now they're just uh, talking, and it's a date. It's a whole date scene, and it's just him going off saying, you know, this is very beautiful. Um, I don't know why you waste time on local. You should go nationwide. You should, you know. Try to find um, people who understand your technique, who understand your photography, you know, stuff like that. And she goes, well, you know, I just like staying here in New York because this is where all the fun is. This is where all the action is. This is where everything happens, which kind of makes sense. Well, one thing, you know, and after that, another, then they have their little uh, after uh, dinner uh, coffee and stuff. And he he says, I'd like to take you out again if you'd like to. Genuinely likes to take her out to dinner again, or take her out to a movie. And she goes, "I would love to, but unfortunately, right now I have a model shoot that I have to take." And he goes, "Oh, I see, I see. Just like all the others, I guess i I probably went too quickly. You know, it's like she goes no, no, no. no In fact, why don't you come over to the model shoot and see it tomorrow, if unless you have time.' And of course, he does this Robert De Niro um impression. You talking to me? You talking to me? He actually says that. And he goes. Absolutely, that would be fantastic, you know, and upper New York type of attitude that, you know, that that he's trying to be. So he's at to shoot, and you've got the 70s music going on, really awesome, you know, it's really good, kind of like a Bee Gees, like wannabe music going on. I, I'm digging it. Anyway, um, and his three models are all, you know, they've got, they're all like, they all look like Faye, you know, uh, like Faye Donnaway, stuff like that, really nice you know like charlie's angels they're doing their little signs their little handgun gestures they've got the uh like the uh, the fans in their head you know with the finesse hair and going in the wind and of course while this is going on what happens frank we're hearing it again from his mind we're hearing the we're hearing it again it's like uh-oh frank is coming back now well anyway she starts stopping and walks t- up towards, um, I mean, he stops it, of course, uh, because uh, Carolyn walks up to him and says, Frank, you made it. I'm glad you made it. And he goes, of course I did. I told you I'd be here. Besides, I got you a present. He's got a, bo- he's got a big old box in it, it looks like it could be a- or a kitten or a puppy. I was thinking something like that. You now, get- of course, gives her a big plush teddy bear. And, of course, she loves it. She goes up and kisses him on the cheek. And then I notice one thing in that scene. When she's not looking and she's talking to another model. He wipes it off like that's sinful, you know. But still tries like, like it's that's it, it's okay. It's you know, like he he's he feels uncomfortable about it, but trying to force a smile at the same time. You're like, okay, you got a problem? with This, I mean, you found like I said, you found one of the like one of the nicest women, and probably one of the one of the more beautiful women I've I would have seen back in my day. You know, if, if I was there, like, and she likes you for you. I would stop this scalp nonsense and be like, okay, I've got it. But Frank has got a mission. He has a purpose. So that's why he does this. Well, anyway, the, uh, the producer who's there for the photographer sh- photography shoot with the models is pretty much telling him, well, can you guys get back to work? Oh, by the way, I don't like what your model is wearing on your necklace. She needs to take it off. She needs to be more bare skin, more open, you know, really, you know, show more. And like, okay, we'll do that. So she takes it off and puts it on the end table. And, of course, you hear that sinister, you know, like, uh uh-oh, Frank sees it, and his eyes get big. So he walks up to it nonchalantly and just grabs it and puts it in his pocket. And he goes back down and sits down and watches the photography shoot, you know, and and keeps going. And then, of course, it ends. Well, the next scene um, uh, is the model that they were introducing to, the one who had the necklace. And she goes back to her nice apartment, and here's the thing: struggling act, a uh, struggling actress, struggling model, and um, apparently she has a very, very nice, and she lives by herself, mind you, but she looks like she's got a, like a, I would say two bedroom, one bath apartment with a nice kitchen and everything, downtown New York. And you're like, okay, and I wouldn't be surprised if it's actually her real apartment or something, because remember what I said, and th- this is true. That all, you know, unlike uh, Carolyn, uh, all the victims were all adult movie stars at that time, so working movie stars. So this is probably their stuff anyway. It just it would be uh, an easier way to film it instead of trying to find a location and trying to get, uh, you know, like uh, uh, what do you call it? A um, what's the word I'm trying to look for? A permit, that's what I'm looking for, a permit to film, an exterior shot or an interior shot, you know, on location. If you have a uh, somebody who has a place and it's kept up nice and neat, do it. That's how the majority of these films from the 70s were, were made, and some of them were, they look so, I guess you would say, lived in, lived in. Not just, oh, this is a nice place, you can tell they don't live here, but it's just a nice area. There's just a lot of decor everywhere. Yeah, no, these places just lived in. Uh a good example is that is um Don't Answer the Phone, which I will be doing here within uh within a couple of days. Um uh Don't Answer the Phone, which is a very good uh Vice um like extreme violent movie, kinda like um very Charles Bronson ish or very um vice squad if you've seen that with uh Wings Hower. Oh a, a coked up uh coked up cowboy who plays a pimp. Oh god, it's great. Anyway, um, it's very, like I said, very ultra-violent 70s, Charles Bronson-type thing, like this one was. Um, And the thing is that the majority of these movies that had violence towards women, some of the good ones were actually made by women. That's why they had it down so well, and it made you feel awkward. It made you feel disturbed. It made you feel un, you know, unclean. Like when you left, you're like, oh God, I, I feel like I, I you know, I, I've been violated. That was the point of the picture. I mean, yeah, to get a a gas, you know, get, you know, to get a a, a quick gag or blood and guts or the devil, zombie, um, or just a gangster film from the '70s. But some of the good ones got you thinking. Anyway. Um, like I said, and she gets back to her apartment, and, uh, of course, what happens? What do we hear? Flash. No, I'm just joking. Not flash. No. But um, we get uh, Frank. So I should have done Frank. Hi. So <laughs> Frank shows up. Anyway, Frank shows up, and he's now in his stalker gear. He's, like, in full stalker gear. You know, he's got the cap on. He's got his brown corridor pants. He's got his sneakers on. He's got his... Uh, army jacket with the uh, collars up, so no one can see. But um, she's uh, getting a she's wondering, okay, what's going on here? You know, it's like, oh, it's you from the shoot. He goes, yeah. Um, listen, um, I know this is kind of weird and this is kind of wrong for me being here late at night, but this is the only time that I had. Um, you forgot this, and it was, you know, her necklace. And he goes, she goes, ah, oh, okay, thanks, man. You know, I, I I appreciate it. Thank you, Frank. And lets you know, lets her in the corridor. She lets him in the corridor a little bit to the point where he can, he plays with the latch, the lock on the latch of the door to keep it unlocked, you know, so he can just walk in while she's, you know, doing her thing. So she's not, so it's not locked from the inside. Anyway, she's having her bubble bath, and I'm not going to lie, it's a bunch of, you know, bubbles, boobs, galore. So, hey, it's the 70s and 80s, full funnel nudity. That's what, it was, that's what it was all about to get pictures going. Anyway, she's having her bubble bath. She's having a great time, listening to her music. Then she gets out, uh, tries to, of course, no, robed only. And uh, she tries to make hot tea. And while she's uh, making hot tea, reading the newspaper, Frank is like right outside, you know, right outside her door. Right outside her door. And he's got his hands cringed. You only see his hands cringing like, He's really mad, like something really, really gonna have bad happened here tonight. Like, because I don't know how to say this, but it gets, well, no, I'll just say it the way it is, you know, freedom of speech. I can say what I want. This one really pisses the fuck Frank off right now. This one does. He charges her, and while well, she's at her making her tea, and throws her down like a football player on the ground. Whoa, okay, Frank. Now the next thing she wakes up, she is tied on her bed, you know uh with her uh one on each post, one foot on each post, and of course one uh wrist on each post, you know spread out, and all she has is her robe on, so you know it's coarse placely you know tastefully you know opened a little bit, not all the way, but just the top of it, you know you know I guess show her breasts and stuff and her and her chest well. Frank pretty much goes on a rant here, and this is when he really takes it out on Mother. He starts breathing really hard, and to the point where he's looking at his own reflection in the mirror, and starts getting very sick, like really angry sick, like you've ever been so pissed off that you're about to, you know, like, you're just about to throw up, or you're about to cough up blood, like Ric Flair, you know, you're just, you're in the moment is what it is, It's, it's, some people call it, it's, or it's, that fire, that finally comes out, you know. Well, he goes down and talks to her, you know, sit down gently. He's pushing his hair back, trying not to lose it. Well, one thing leads to another, and he just looks at her and he says, now, what you did wrong, you tried to hurt me. You hurt me really bad. You left me alone all those times. I was really scared. I was so scared I hid in a closet, and then you locked the closet. I lived in the closet. I'm like, wow, so Harry Potter wasn't the only one. Okay, cool. So Frank, Frank understands. Harry understands. Anyway, Frank tells her pretty much, you left me there, but you did come back. You came back because I found you. You may look different every time, but I found you. And then he, that found almost becomes like, you know, like the word fuck. It's just like, I found you. And you're like, this is not going to end up good. This is when Frank is at his darkest when it comes to his, uh, to his victims. Like, he no longer sees this model like, like he did in uh, all of his other victims. Like, they flash back and forth. Like, you see, who is this woman? It's his mother. Okay, then the next scene, you know, it's back to it again. And he, like, he blinks his eyes, and it's just the victim. And he blinks again, and it's his mother. Here, it's pretty much all he sees in his eyes is his mother. So, she, of course, she's crying. She's screaming, please don't hurt me. Please don't hurt me. You know, Frank, it's me. It's, it's not this purse, Frank. It's me. You just met me. Please don't hurt me. And Frank is like, you've had so many men. You've had so many men. There were so many men. I was the only one who loved you. I'm the only one who would ever treat you right. And it's just, why did you burn me? Why did you hurt me? You did it for all those dollars, quote, unquote. And I'm like. And then at the end, he goes, but they didn't love you. I loved you. I loved you. Only me. And then he takes out his, um. he has a switchblade, and it's a really good, nice switchblade. Has a toy or chest, right? You know, like, and he says, and I will love you. So I guess the representation of the switchblade, pretty much we know what it is, right? And he pretty much says, I'm going to keep you. So... I guess that's his way of penetration, of love, what he talks, it's his knife, it's his weaponry, it's his blade that he uses, it's his, the long barrel shotgun, uh, the machete that he uses, the, um, the exacto knife, you know, it just comes, you know, it starts rising, you know, like, and he gets excited on this part to the point where he has to put the rag back in her mouth, and then what does he do? Just stabs her, and it goes right through her chest bone right through her sternum, and they don't they don't cut a seam to it. They show it, and of course, he just goes right in there, and just like one big, you know, like thrust, and then he on, lays on top of her. There's blood squirting everywhere, and of course, his eyes, when he's on top of her, he's like, you know, back and forth, back and forth, you know, oh, mommy, oh, mommy, please don't, oh, mommy, and he's crying, you know, kind of like, like I said, once again, Mick Foley, mankind. The only thing I can think of, you know, just rocking back and forth, back and forth, you know. And um, his eyes, you know, his eyes are going in the back of his head, like it's a moment of ecstasy. If that was his thing. No, oh, that must be my that must be my cat. Sorry, guys. I also have a cat back here. Um, black, uh, short-haired cat, tall one. Name is Grim from the Grim Brothers. I wanted to call him Lovecraft, but my Mrs. wouldn't allow that. So, hey. What she says, dance. <laughs> anyway, um, he goes back, and he goes, course, back to the bathroom, throws up, just like he did in the first part uh, with the hooker. So he goes out, takes his knife again, and then scalps her. And this time, you can barely recognize the scalp. Thank God for the clothes, because you wouldn't realize, okay, who is this other victim now? As the bloody robe on her, He's in the bed you know there's back to Frank's uh, apartment and now he's got cats now he's got uh, uh, he's got uh, candles everywhere around his mom's uh, picture and they show a close-up of his mom's picture this one I guess they must have just used the same actress because it, she just has um it's just black hair instead of blonde hair so and it looks exactly like her so they probably just doubled her That's why Frank went kind of violent and kind of went on his own on this one. So what happens, he also has a boy mannequin, and the boy mannequin reminds him, I guess, it's a representation of him. Because what he does is he's just sitting in his couch, in his chair, in his robe, crying, whimpering to himself. And you really feel sorry for the guy. I mean, it's just really bad. Um, Hold on here. He starts showing up. Um, like I said, he's in his robe, and he's in a, US, um, a USN robe, you know, like those uh, like the ones you would get at the VA. So something tells me as well that I think he probably was in the military, and he had, had maybe a dishonorable discharge, or maybe something happened when he was a Numb. his character, his background. He could be around that age, but he has this blue, navy blue um, uh, USN um, uh, coat that he's wearing. So, and it looks like the ones, you know, like you would see at the hospitals, at the VA regional. Um, but onto to that. <coughs> um, he, like I said, there's a representation of a little uh, mannequin of him. I guess it's him, and he's crying at the same time he's smoking. And he's burning the cigarettes onto the dummy's chest, you know, the little boy mannequin's chest. Well, what happened was, and then he starts touching his chest. He's got cigarette burns. So, I guess that's why, you know, he does that, so it's, he must, he's trying to live out his dream his dreams, his nightmares of his life that he had to deal with as a child. So, he goes back, he gets his uh, BB gun out, and he just starts shooting, you know, a chalked out, you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine uh, uh, chalk, uh, uh, what do you call it, a bullseye that he made on the wall. And then, after a while, he just lays back, his his eyes are over his head, you know, and he just breathes hard, like, like, he can't take it anymore. I think Frank is, I think he knows personally, like, I'm about to die. I'm about to lose it. I don't know what's wrong with me, but I know the end has come. It's about to happen. Well, the next scene, and this is the last part, we're getting to the nitty-gritty and here. Um, Carolyn calls Frank, and they ask, hey, what are you doing today? And he's like, Oh, not much. Just, you know, remembering, relaxing. She goes, well, you want to go to a movie? He's like, yeah, sure. You know, and he just went through all this shit, and, you know, this uh, bipolar, PTSD, whatever, schizophrenia, that, you know, just, you know, all these demons he's dealing with. And then it just shuts off. Like, I guess the Frank he wants to be instead of the Frank he has to be takes over. So – Anyway, she goes he goes back, you know, he drives up to the apartment, picks her up, and uh, they're about to go. But the thing is this, folks, this is the anniversary of his mother's death. So we kinda understand why he kinda went on the you know, kinda went on the deep end with this last one, with the model. So of course, you know, so he's like, Before we go to the movies, um, can we just stop by my um uh my mom's you know, uh my mom's graveyard, you know. So and she goes, Yeah, oh speaking of and of course the the line, speaking of funerals and graves, uh thank you for showing up at my friend's, you know, the model that you just killed. Thank you for showing up and attending there. It would it really would have meant some, it really would have meant something for her if she would have known that you were there and he goes, Oh, I she was. She she knows and I'm like, That's messed up, man. Come on, Frank. some sensitivity. What the fuck? Anyway, he goes down, scene, and of course she kisses him on the cheek, and this time Frank doesn't wipe it away. Like, it's wrong. It's sinful. He likes it. It's like, okay, did he defeat the demon? Did he conquer the demon known as mother or or whatever? So, well… One thing, they go back, they go, like I said, they go to the graveyard. She goes, yeah, I have no problem seeing your mother. You know, I'll be there for you as you were there for me. For my friend, I'll be there for your mother. And I'm like, Frank, this is it, man. Well, they go to the grave, and, you know, they're uh, they're on their knees, and he's doing his Hail Mary full of grace, you know, a couple times. You know, like, uh, all us good Catholics do. And um, he starts crying, and he starts saying, oh, my head, my head. Oh, and it hurts, it hurts, you know, because, you know, his mom said it. But I think it means that his mind is hurting. He says, it hurts my head, as in Frank is coming out. Not, I guess you would say Francis, probably as a boy It's called Francis, the one he wants to be. No, Frank is coming out of now. And then all of a sudden, she, uh, she goes, it's okay, I'm here. And he goes, Rita knew, Rita knew. And like, who's Rita? Apparently, that was the name of the model that they never told us till now. She goes, what do you mean? What do you mean? What about Rita? Rita knew. And then he goes after her and chokes Caroline like tries to choke her you know like and she's like Frank it's me it's me Frank it's me you know and there's a chase scene you know she gets away and there's a chase scene through the graveyard and mind you it's already nighttime now it's no longer daytime for the movie so apparently they missed out on the movie it took them forever to get to the graveyard well one thing like I said they start chasing each other and Frank is in good shape for a big man that he I guess. he's jumping over we're talking parkour style or these grave sites and these graveyards and stuff. Like he still keeps up in shape, and she's running and she's running and she's running, trying to get away. And it, this cuts about for maybe two to three minutes of just running. And now he's looking around, can't find her. There is a um, uh, the Holy Mother. And there's like a, a picture of the Holy Mother, like right there, not a picture, but a statuette of a graveyard. And then boom, she shows up right there. I guess the representation of of Caroline, you know. Well, one thing leads to another, and she has a spade on her hand. Well, a shovel, for anyone who doesn't know what that is. Cuts him right in the the arm. And, of course, he's mortally wounded. He's really bad. And she just starts running away, and she runs off and out of existence because it's foggy. All of a sudden, it starts getting super, super foggy, and you can see the floodlights. You can see everything. It looks like a setting of, like, Demon Wind or The Walking Dead or uh, The Evil Dead. And he just starts losing it and crying, and he just gets down on all of his knees. And, of course, once again, the representation, there's a cross and uh, the Virgin Mary there holding Jesus, you know, in, in the statue there. And he just yells out loud, Mother! You know, and it's just like, I like that silhouette in the background, too. And then after that, there is like uh, um, an eternal dialogue between him and Mom saying, you know, please, mommy, I don't want to go in the closet. Frank, mommy has to punish you once again. And he's going through all the emotions, like he's crying, he's feeling sorry for himself. And then he just starts getting angry and yelling and saying all, you know, all profanities about mother. And then he stops again and says, I'm sorry, mom. Frank went through a lot of stuff. And then he starts getting angry and yelling and screaming and then course you hear mom say frank i have to punish you you've been a bad boy again i told you not to go out so it's like okay so the mom said i told you not to go out tonight you know out but she would anyway but so she would punish him and that's what he remembers so <clears throat> i know we're sorry about that weird concept folks sorry about coughing there Anyway, he goes to his mother's grave, and, you know, he's, like, on hands and knees begging for forgiveness, and then a zombie pops out of it. It's all in his mind, of course, folks, but a sort of zombie comes out of it and grabs him by the head, kind of like um, uh, like that scene from uh, Dead Alive, when uh, Lionel um, is trying to get Mother back. Wow, another reference of Mother and Son. Yeah, there's a lot of movies like that. And then Zed and all the other greasers from the 50s, you know, they're there, and Zed is, like, starts pissing on the grave, and then all of a sudden, you know, he falls down on it, and he goes, it's a zombie. You know, that's what it's like, and he doesn't get killed. You know, Frank doesn't get killed. It's just in his mind. Anyway, the last scene here. I'm down to eight minutes here. I better hurry up and say what's going on. Um, Frank pretty much loses it. He goes back mortally wounded. I mean, he walks home, like, mortally wounded uh, from the shovel that, that she uh, cut him with on his shoulder. Well, he gets back, he um, gets back to his apartment, he lies down, and he's just relaxing, you know, and he's crying at the same time, trying to get his wits in, you know, go, I got it, what am I going to do, I don't know what to do. And then, then something really starts happening, you don't know if it's reality, you don't know if it's fantasy, but when he falls into the bed, he sees, he sees his mother, and you actually see mother as, how she was as a young lady, and it looks exactly like the actress before. So something tells me it was probably doubled for uh, the model and mother. Anyway, he looks, and he turns to his right side where all of his victims were, you know, the mannequins with all the bloody scalps and everything. They start talking back to him, not like tourist trap talk. We're not that freaky, but like in his mind, they just start talking to him. And then he's on his side, you know, with his back towards them. So he just goes back and he's like shaking his head, saying, you know, no, no, that's not real. This isn't happening, you know. And he turns around once again, and then one starts moving, two start moving, and then they all start becoming real. And then it turns out they're all they're, they are all the actresses or all the victims. They are no longer mannequin form. They are now real people, you know, form. And then they're no longer like standing around like in the mannequin position. They come alive, and they kind of like a Twilight Zone, like that one episode where she, um, you know, she's supposed to be a uh, she was she thought she was real, but turns out she was a mannequin the whole time. And she was supposed to come back, and she never did. And when she finally does, and make her a mannequin for the rest of her life, yeah, something like that. Anyway, um, they start coming alive, and they start picking up all the weapons that they were killed by that Frank killed him with. So you have the nurse with the bayonet. You have um the hooker with the expecto blade. You have disco girl with the um with the shotgun. You have um I guess um uh, uh the beach lady she had uh, she picked up the machete, well uh, they didn't use the machete, but and then they all just go on a rant and just corner him around the bed and just start stabbing him. I mean we're talking gore galore. There is like And he's just screaming off his head. He is just like losing it. I mean, the guy is just. You could pretty much. Hold on. I'm pretty much watching it at the same time, folks. So, trying to remember all the good points. But right here, you're hearing it. I mean, they're just coming to life. They're ripping him apart, they're like devouring him. It looks like a Walking Dead movie. I'm not. It looks like a George Romero Dawn of the Dead. They ripped his head off. That's what happened. It gets that Savini gore. The only thing they're not doing is eating his flesh. But you can hear it in the background. And they're just playing with his body. And the camera slowly turns, you know, hands away, slowly, while Frank is being devoured or being, you know, ripped apart by his victims, by his mind, or whatever is going on in his head. And it's just an awesome shot. And it just keeps going. And his head is decapitated. They just rip his face off. It looks, And then it fades away. You hear the seagulls. You hear the morning. You know, like any other horror film, the morning comes. You can hear the boats. You can hear the docks. You can hear the sirens. Well, apparently, she finds them. And, um, well, I'm sorry, um, uh, what do you call it, finds him. Um, Caroline finds the cops that she ran away, tells them who, who it was, that, uh, and then they put two and two together, I guess, and the cops show up at his place. And coming out of the car, I'm not going to lie, oh, my God, I thought it was Starsky and Hutch, like the real Starsky and Hutch. They had the, they had it all on. I mean, we're talking the leather overcoat jacket, the bell-bottom the collared shirt with the uh, with the taco meat in the middle. I mean, with the and with the um oh uh, what do you call it? With the uh, necklaces and stuff. Oh God, it was it looked great. It was awesome. And of course, they've got their thirty eight snub uh, pistols, you know, thirty eight specials right there. Saturday night special. Oh yeah, it was it was awesome. Well, they go back there, they see what happens, and Frank he still has his head. He still has it all set up. They just look around. They see the mannequins are still there. Nothing's going on. Turns out it was in his head the whole time. They move him to the side because he's laying on his side. He committed Harry Carey. He put the machete in himself. So they just walk away, and they can't believe what happened. And it's dead. It's quiet. There's nothing going on. It's just Frank. Just Frank. He's got the machete, you know, stuck in him, lying on his bed, next to mother, and his eyes are closed. But then again, his eyes open at the last second, and they do like a zoom in shot, and it's over. That scene scared the crap out of me because I thought he was dead, to be honest, physically just gone. Like there's no way he's going to make that out. But he did. <laughs> Oh, i got to hurry up. Well, anyway, folks, that was it. Um, on a side note here with the movie, they had an unofficial uh, sequel to this movie, Maniac 2, and it was called Mr. Timmy. And what happened was apparently he escaped, and when he did, from the law, he created a new name and knew everything, and he was on the West Coast instead of New York. And he became a child um, – t- uh, what do you call it? A child uh, 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 TV show host like Mr. Rogers or Captain King's and what happened was, well, one thing led to another, and, well, he didn't, eat nothing. <laughs> well, anyway, I hope you guys enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed my first episode here at the, and Frighten Your Fest, wow, over here at the uh, Best Podcast in Waco. And until next time, guys, y'all take care. You have a good day. And remember, you are what you eat. It's a dark night. It's a dark.